Uh, this morning, uh, most of you know I start off the message, I always like to kind of do a little teaser up front. It has nothing to do with the message, but uh, kind of an insight into spiritual things in the kingdom of God. And um, yeah, this morning, I, I want to go after the words grace and mercy. Yeah, grace and mercy. Um, next slide. Grace and mercy are both wonderful gifts of God's love and goodness toward us, but they are not the same thing. I need mercy, you need mercy, okay? I need grace, you need grace. Um, and, and sometimes we use those words almost like they're interchangeable, but they're not. They, they're, they really mean two different things, and uh, I'll start out putting mercy on the board. Here's mercy. Mercy means not getting what we deserve. The famous emperor and general, Napoleon uh, Bonaparte, was, uh, he had a young man, young officer in his army, and the young officer deserted right in the middle of battle, and he was caught-martialed court -court and uh, condemned to die. The mother of the young man came to Emperor Napoleon, General Napoleon, and, and said, and pleaded for the life of her son. She said, could you just show him mercy? And the general looked at her and he said, he does not, your son does not deserve mercy. And she said, tears coming down her face, if he deserved it, it would not be called mercy. And he stopped for a moment, thought, and said, you have taught me something about mercy. Your son shall not die. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Uh, but grace... Grace is getting what Jesus pays for and deserves. That's why I, I'm not saved by mercy. I am saved by grace. I get what Jesus paid for and deserves. I mean, how marvelous is that? Now, wait, uh, let me put the verse up. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, very famous. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. Wages earned through work done, so no one can boast. The word, Greek word in the text means the, the wages done by work. In other words, you can't get in by earning. That's why, you know, that's why it says not by works. It's, you can't get in by earning. But, but and it's so important because when we come to verse 10, there's a whole new story. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, masterpieces, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The truth is that God has placed in each person here unique set of gifts and abilities and talents and stuff, a whole bunch of good stuff. And it's our job to take all that good stuff and under the power of the Lord to go out and whew, transform the planet by doing good. There is good that you are called to do that only you can do, that you have been designed in a special way and gifted in a special way, and only you can perform it. And if you don't perform it, it doesn't get done on planet Earth. You understand? Are you hearing me? 
We are God's masterpieces. We can't get in by good works, but once we're in, we can't get out of good works. <laughs> good is more powerful than evil. But we have to choose it. We've got to go for it. We have to put it into practice. Romans chapter 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Good is more powerful. We are going to win this because we have the more powerful weapons. Yeah. And those weapons are us. <laughs> it is. Well, that's an introduction to nothing. But... <laughs> But I love to do that because it's just, yeah, there's just, some things are worth doing. Hey, uh, we're going to look at one of the parables. It's found in uh, Matthew chapter 18, and it starts at verse 21, and uh, it says this, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I Forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times. You know, in the Old Testament, in the book of Prophet of Micah, in Micah it says, you forgive a brother once, you forgive him twice, you forgive him a third time, but if he does it a fourth time, you don't have to forgive him. It's too much. <laughs> now, we don't know where Peter got seven. He took the Micah 3, doubled it, got 6, added 1 for good measure, and now he's got the divine number 7. And he says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, should I forgive my brother or sister if they sin against me up to 7 times? And I believe that he expects Jesus to pat him on the back and say, whoa, Peter, you're really starting to get this thing. <laughs> you're understanding grace. But I can assure you this, not Peter, nor the disciples, or us are ready for Jesus' answer. I tell you not seven times, but seven times 70. Now, some translations have 77. Here's what you need to know. I'll put it on the board for you. In Greek, the number 77 and the equation seven times 70 are written the very same way. Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but seven times 70. Do you understand the greatness of forgiveness? I mean, if someone does something to you or to us a hundred times, <laughs> I mean, most of us think, okay, enough already, right? I mean, a hundred times, 490 times. But Jesus gives us instruction. Look, look at verse 15 of the same chapter, chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you will have won them over. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I am always glad when someone comes and says, hey, look, you said this or you offended me in this kind of way by something I did. And, you know, my first reaction always is to be defensive. <laughs> I'm normal that way. <laughs> you know, but if I think about it, usually what happens is Jesus brings it around to me and I realize, wait a minute, I'm in the wrong. And I go to the person and I say, hey, would you please forgive me? I, yeah, just please forgive me for what I said, for what I did. Um, yeah, 
I think I probably have done that with a few of you in the room, actually. James chapter 3, verse 2. Kind of have this verse, or this, yeah, this verse of truth hidden away. Chapter 3, verse 2 says this. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. <laughs> Raise your hand if that's you. <laughs> I want to meet you. <laughs> Able to keep the whole body in check. Uh, tr truth is, we will all slip with our tongue. And when we do, we need to go to that person or to those people that we've offended and ask for forgiveness. And whenever I've done this, I've, I've, someone has always been glad to forgive me and, and um, yeah, restore the relationship. My advice, practice forgiveness frequently. It's a great relationship tool. I tell you, Jesus said, not seven times, but seven times 70. The greatness of forgiveness. Here it is. In God's economy, forgiveness is so great that you can't get over it. You cannot get under it. You can't get around the ends of it. It's too immense. It's too great. It's too needed. <laughs> you ever think about the greatness of forgiveness? We sometimes forget that that forgiveness has great power to change our lives and our destinies. During the U.S. Civil War, a young, colonel, a young cavalry officer named Rosalind McIntyre, he deserted his unit in the middle of battle. He was caught, court-martialed, and he was condemned to die. He stood with no defense for his deed, no just complaint against the penalty, and with nothing to plead save the shame for his act and the faith that if given another chance that he, with God's help, would be able to play the man. On that, the last recourse of the condemned, President Abraham Lincoln pardoned him. His pardon was signed by Lincoln, and it said, upon the condition that Roswell McIntyre of Company E, the 6th Regiment of the New York Calvary, return to his regiment, faithfully serve out his term of duty, making up for lost time, or until otherwise discharged, he is here for pardon for any supposed or actual desertion. And this paper is his pass to go to his regiment. Was such clemency an opportunity for lax character? Would such extraordinary forgiveness change the man? The answer is written across the letter, Lincoln's letter, displayed in the presidential Lincoln Library. It says, taken from the, Ros the body of Roswell McIntyre at the Battle of Five Forks, Virginia, 1865. Five Forks was the last cavalry action of the Civil War. McIntyre went through to the finish. Lincoln's forgiveness had given him the strength, allegiance, and moral courage to play the new man. Jesus knows forgiveness has the power to change us. The power to change us. Now, Jesus tells one of his stories, beginning at verse 23. 
And therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000, it says bags of gold, but the Greek says talents, 10,000 talents, was brought to him. And since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, there's some things that you, don't, you won't know coming to the text, and I'll put it on the board. Here it is. Perspective, 10,000 talents is twice the gross national product of Israel in first century. In our economy, it would be like us owing twice the gross national product of the USA. It is not a large debt. It is an impossible debt. And I humbly, humbly submit to you that all of us sitting here, we all owe that debt to God. And we cannot pay it. That's why it's called grace. Jesus pays it. And we receive the benefits. One of the things that all of us have to come to grips with is that's us. We owe that debt. Verse 28, and then the servant went, excuse me, verse 26, and the servant fell on his knees before him, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. Now, this will be important to the understanding of the story of the parable. What did the servant ask for? Did he ask to have the debt canceled? He said, what? Would you give me more time? You know, I believe that several of Jesus' parables have some laughing points in it. And when Jesus proposed the debt owed, I mean, the crowd laughed and said, that's not possible. <laughs> and, and when the guy said, if, all, if I have more time, I can pay it back, of course, that also was a laugh point because it was not possible. But what did he ask for? He asked for more time. I'll work this thing out. Well, the story goes on, verse 26, and, or verse, yeah, verse, I'm sorry, verse 28. And that servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, or a hundred denarii. A denarii is a silver coin. It's one day's wage in that culture. A hundred denarii would be a hundred days' wage, or about a third of a year's salary. Um, Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. I mean, when we hear, oh, I I didn't get there. Let me finish reading it. Sorry. But that servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 100 silver coins, 100 denarii, and he grabbed a hold of him and began to choke and pay me back all that you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he should pay the debt. You know, it's not a small debt, but but it's a possible debt. And we're, you know, we're taken back and we're shocked by the servant's behavior. I mean, here he had received this huge, you know, huge forgiveness. And when it came time to forgive his fellow servant or even, you know, give his fellow servant some grace, he couldn't do it. 
And, and you got to ask the question, okay? We're, we're, and this is really what we're trying to get at today is, is what went wrong? What was the problem? Here's the principle of forgiveness. Principle of forgiveness. Forgiveness cannot flow into places it cannot flow through. I, I want you to take and write that in indelible ink in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit. Forgiveness cannot flow into places it cannot flow through. It cannot come to you if you can't pass it on to those around you. It's like electricity. Electricity cannot flow into places it cannot flow through. I I could stand this morning on a glass block six inches thick and two feet square, and I could stand solidly on that glass block this morning. I could reach up, and if there was a wire here with a million volts of electricity, I could take hold of that wire, and I would not be harmed at all because electricity will not flow in where it cannot flow through. Forgiveness is like electricity. You see, the guy had worked out his own deal. Give me more time. And so when it came time to be able to grant mercy to his fellow servant, he couldn't do it because the forgiveness that he had received, he hadn't really received. It had not affected his heart. It had not affected his life. It had not changed the way he looked or his attitude. And so Jesus gives us this warning. And uh, yeah, we'll go through it. Then the other servants saw what had happened, and they they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, and he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You understand that one of the most dangerous things you can do for your life (laughs) is hold a grudge. Well, one of the most dangerous things you can possibly do in life is to find yourself angry and be unforgiving toward another member of the human race. Someone has said bitterness is a, it's a gift that just keeps on giving. <laughs> bitterness is like drinking a glass of poison and waiting for the other person to die. Let me know how that works for you. I, I want to I take you to one of my favorite verses, and this deals directly with bitterness. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one fails, falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many, and defile many. You see, we let our anger get us, and we get a bitter root, and, it, and it, you know, and lots of times we kind of hydroplane over it for a while, and it just hangs there, and, you know, and, and have you ever had this happen? You're in a conversation, you're so so sure you've let go of this thing and it's passed and this name comes up right in the middle of the conversation and suddenly you hear your voice saying, do you know what so-and-so did to me? (laughs) What do you call that? You call that a bitter root. A bitter root. 
They kind of sneak up on you. Um, they're always destructive. The vivid description here is, is really graphic, and I'm going to kind of draw it out for you if I can. Uh, it, it says, you know, if, if you let a bitter root go, and if you let it hang around, it will come to life, it will spring to life, and it will begin to bother. And not only that, it bothers, but then it, it says it, it defiles many. And the word defile there is menino. Say it. Menino. Yeah, kind of get it in your, in your, in your mind and on your tongue, because we're going to play with it some. <laughs> Yeah, what's it mean? Here's what it means. Okay, you got to imagine yourself in the first century and you're preparing to go to a party and you're looking so forward to the party and you, yeah. And, and you, I mean, you, yeah, you've taken a bath and put on the smell good and you're just, yeah. And you put on your toga, your finest linen toga. It's pure white and, and toga varilla and it has a, a, a gold braid or gold, 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 you know, bottom on the, on the thing. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, a circle of gold around the, tr at the, at the, at the trim. And anyway, you've got this thing on, and wow, you look sniffy, and you're on your way, and whoa. And you go out the door, and you start to skip on down the sidewalk. Now, there's something you need to know about ancient cities. See, they didn't have underground sewage systems the way ours do today. Yeah, they, what they had is that the streets, the streets were paved and they would go down, they were slanted down toward a gutter and a gutter about seven or eight inches, you know, on the edge and then the sidewalk was about six inches or seven inches above that in that track. That was where all the rainwater and all the garbage and all the sewage would run in the streets and be washed out of the city. Well, you're going along, I mean, you're skipping along, and you're dressed and ready and just excited about getting to this party. And as you're going along, unbeknown to you, in the second-story bedroom above you along the street, someone has just used the chamber pot. And just as you're coming along, as you're skipping along, you see, as you, they come out on the balcony, and they're going to flush the chamber pot. And so they do... And the contents just go swoosh over you. You have just been maninoed. It means to be covered with excrement. And when you get to part to the party, you also defile many. I want to share a story with you this morning. Um, it was printed in Guidepost magazine a couple years ago. It's a story and testimony of a woman named Hasla Hannah. She was from Denver, Colorado. Hasla was living with her daughter, Pat, who was attending Bible college where she was studying to be a missionary, preparing to be a missionary. Pat, her daughter, also worked in the school office as a receptionist, and Hasla was preparing dinner for her and her daughter, Pat, and Pat was late in getting home, and that was so unusual, because usually if Pat was going to be late, she would have called, and so Hasla called the school, and no, Pat had left the school in time, normal time. Hasla began to worry a bit, and a half hour passed, and Hasla called the police station. No, they had not heard any, from anyone who fit Pat's description. Hasla was beside herself. Through the night, she continued to worry, and every hour she called the police station, and every 
time it was the same. No, they had not any reports on anyone or had seen anyone who had contact with a person fitting Pat's description. And at 5.30 in the morning, Hasla's phone rang. She picked it up. It was the police. Does your daughter, Pat, have any distinguished birthmarks or scars? Hasla's heart was now just struck with deep fear. And at 6.30 in the morning, Hasla looked out her window and she saw her pastor and the policeman coming toward the front door. Minutes later, Hasla's worst fears were confirmed. Pat's body had been discovered by a couple of boys squirrel hunting in a, hidden among some trees. She'd been sexually assaulted and then murdered. For several weeks, Hasla was just numb. How could this happen? It seemed like her, her life had come to an end. Then a couple of months, another woman in the Denver area managed to narrowly escape a similar kind of attack, only she had a description of her attacker. And when the police got the description, they found the man, they arrested him, and his picture was painted, his picture was printed in the newspaper. When Hazel saw the picture, his name was Carlton Moore, she grabbed a hold of a knife and she sliced it to pieces. When he was put on trial, Hazla found herself driving downtown Denver every day to sit in the back of the courtroom and to murder Carlton Moore with her eyes. After a month of trial, Carlton was convicted of the rape and murder of Pat Hanna. He was given a life sentence and sent to the state penitentiary. But Hazla was not relieved at all. It was so unfair. Her daughter, Pat, who was so good, was dead. And Carlton Moore, who was so evil, was alive. How could this be? At first, Hazel withdrew from everything. She only attended church on Sunday. It felt so much like her life was gone. Then one Sunday, a visiting missionary with the Gideons International was a guest speaker at the church. He talked about the power of forgiveness and our human need both to be forgiven as well as our need to forgive others when they've done something to us. Hazla suddenly could hear the voice of Jesus speaking directly to her. Hazla, you need to forgive. You need to let go of your bitterness. And Jesus said, Hazla, remember what they did to me, and I forgave them. Hazla, set yourself free. Forgive Carlton Moore. As the Gideon was speaking, he said that week he was going to the state penitentiary, and if anyone there wanted to buy Bibles for the inmates, he would be around afterwards to facilitate that action. Hazla found herself in the line waiting to speak to the Gideon, when she finally got to him, she was listening as she heard her voice say, I would like to buy 10 Bibles for inmates at the penitentiary. And would you deliver one personally to an inmate named Carlton Moore? And would you tell him, this is from Hasla Hannah, the mother of the woman you murdered, and tell him that because Jesus has forgiven her, Mrs. Hannah forgives you for murdering her daughter, Pat. And because Jesus loves her, 
Mrs. Hannah extends her love to you. Hazel went home that day. She stood in front of an open window that was looking out over freshly fallen snow. And it felt like a, an iron shell had just broken off of her body. And, and standing at the window, Hazel began an unceasing prayer that Carlton Moore would come to full faith in Jesus Christ and claim him as his Lord, Savior, and his King. Life began to open up again for Hasla, and several months passed by, and she received a phone call from the Gideon she had purchased the Bibles from. Could he come over and talk to her, speak with her? And she, of course, said yes. And as he sat down, he said, I'm bringing you greetings from Carlton Moore. He said, would you tell Mrs. Hannah that she has given me such an amazing gift that no one has ever given me? No one ever told me that I was loved before. I was always told how evil I was and I was going to hell. But now for the first time in my life, I have hope and I believe that because Mrs. Hannah could forgive me, I will someday be able to forgive myself for what I have done. Has a has now received more than a hundred letters like the one she received recently. The letter said, Mrs. Hannah, you don't know us, but our son is in the state penitentiary and he was led to faith in Jesus Christ by an inmate named Carlton Moore, who told our son that he came to faith because of your words and love toward him. Mrs. Hannah, you don't know how much this means to us. And tears streaming down her face, Hazel said, oh, yes, I do know. Because Carlton Moore has become the missionary I always dreamed my daughter Pat would have been. Do you understand what can be released when you and I choose to forgive? The amazing power. Remember, Forgiveness can only flow to what it is able to flow through. That's why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. It's not just a good idea. <laughs> it is absolutely essential. I remember a Sunday a few years ago, I had preached on Forgiveness, a similar kind of message, I suppose. And, and we had prayer ministers up front, much like we have at the house here. And, uh, and a man came up to the prayer ministers, and he talked about his son. And they had had a harsh disagreement five years ago, and they had not spoken for five years. But on that morning, the man's heart was broken, and he extended forgiveness, wanted to extend forgiveness and ask for forgiveness for his hardened heart and his bitterness and, and process forgiveness toward his son and, and ask that, that God would somehow give him the steps to be reconciled to his son. That man called me at 2 in the afternoon. He said at 11.30 his son had called and left a message on his, on his message, phone messaging. 
And he was asking, could they meet up and talk and resolve their conflict somehow? And the man said, 11.30 was the exact time I was standing at the altar. Forgiving my son. I mean, it doesn't make sense in the human realm, but in the heavenly realm, it makes perfect sense. The spiritual power that is released when you and I are willing to let go and process forgiveness. This morning, I... I'd like to take a some, little bit of special time if we can. And, and if you'd stand to your feet and just don't, don't hold anything, just have your hands so you can put them out. If, if, that's, if that's not comfortable, you don't have to, but if you, if you can. It, you know, an open hand is a couple things. It can receive and it can give. So it, you know, both those actions are kind of possible. And, I, I, you know, I, I know I'm speaking to some folks here today who just, you keep short accounts everywhere. <laughs> you just start processing forgiveness on a regular basis and praise God and keep it up and, well, thank you. But, but I know that I'm going to be speaking to some here today who it's not been so easy for. And, and, and it's not that, that life has been easy necessarily because some of you, you know, have fathers who... Refuse to be fathers. And some of you have mothers who refuse to be mothers, and some of you had brothers and sisters, and, and there have been people along the way, or uncles or aunts, and it feels like if you let go of the grudge, if you let go of the bitterness, you're going to lose something, but you're not going to lose anything. You're going to gain. So I am, my invitation to you this morning is right now, I don't know what it is that you need to process, but I, I, I think God is calling us to this right now. That you're standing here right now before the Lord on this holy ground, and on this holy ground, I want you to declare it in your heart. Lord, I'm choosing to forgive. You can put the name on it. You have the name. It's on your lips. You can say it in your mind or just say it out loud softly if you want, but you, you know, that's the invitation right now. Jesus, I'm choosing to forgive. And there may be a few people involved in this in, in your life. And, but, but this is a moment of grace. This is, this is when the, whew, the power of grace is washing through the room. And don't miss it. Don't miss it. I, I, no, no, I know it's not fair. Jesus knows that, but he's more than fair. He'll give you power to do that which you cannot do on your own. And, but there is no reason to leave this room, to leave this building today if you're holding on to any kind of grudge without processing it. Because that's God's will for your life and my life. Come on. Lord, I choose to forgive. You put the name on it. Lord, I, I choose to let go. I'm not going to be bitter anymore. Forgive me for the way I've been bitter. It is a new day of grace. A new day of life. A new day of freedom. 
Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Holy Spirit, do your office work among your people right now. <laughs> do your office work in our hearts. I would that nobody would leave this room with, a, with any grudge that you had on your heart or your, you, that you would not. It would be left here today because it's a new day. One more thing, we stand here together and as we do so, I just, I just sometimes it just feels like I'm supposed to and so I'll do it because I, I, I'm feeling that right now and just like God's saying it to me and, and that, that's just, you know, if you came here today and, and maybe you don't know that Jesus holds you in his hand. Maybe you've never really put all your faith in him and taken hold of, of him as your Lord, Savior and your King. And, and, and that may be you this morning. If you're standing here, I, we want to close that deal. Yeah, we want to close it right now. Jesus reaching out to you, and he wants to hold you in his hand. He wants you, yeah. He wants to give you the gift of heaven, the forgiveness of all your sins, and, and he wants you to live as a full son of God, as a full daughter of God. That's how he wants you to live. So I want to ask everybody in the room just to pray it. I'm going to pray it. I'll give you the words. Just pray it out loud as... You know, everybody, everybody, every voice speaking these words. Dear Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart to you, the door of my life. I invite you in, Jesus, to be my Lord, my Savior, my King. I acknowledge that I am a sinner, and I receive from you the gift of the forgiveness of my sins. And I receive from you the gift of the resurrection from the dead. And I want your resurrection power living in me. That I might be the man and the woman you want me to be. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The prayer ministers are going to come up front. If you're here today and you have any kind of need in your life, we don't want you to leave. Don't leave without receiving prayer. If your body needs healing, we want to pray for healing. We see it happen all the time. Uh, don't, don't hesitate to be a part. Prayer ministers, yeah, come on up front. Um, yeah, please, please. If, if something, if the Lord was processing something in your life and you just feel like that's quite not over with or you want to underline that in some kind of way, come. Speak to a prayer minister. That's why we're here, uh, that, that we can just help facilitate that. And now I, this is my favorite part of the service. I get to bless you. And I love to do that. Look up and receive the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In your leisure and your labor, your coming and your going today and all week long. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>